0: Hello and welcome to the Cinema in Seconds podcast. This is the podcast where we look at small moments in spooky movies. My name is Ian.
1: And I'm Daniel.
0: And this week, uh, we're going to be moving from our horror comedies to the occult. So we're definitely getting scarier. And so to help us out, we're bringing in another October regular. Miles, welcome back.
2: Hi, thank you for having me. It's good to be back.
0: Yeah, the last one we were on, we actually got you not to talk about horror movies because we were talking about scary moments in non horror movies. Yeah, yeah, that's
3: true. So, this Sounded one, yeah, it. so we thought we'd <laughs> <laughs> Sounded...
2: reopening some uh, some old scars with that one, but that's okay. I
3: <laughs> So, we're bringing it well, back to That's why into it's taking wheelhouse. you a year to come back. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. taking a year and
1: everything. Cool. It's okay. Now we, now we can go back.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Dan, I think this was your idea for the topic.
1: Yes. Um, which is funny because then I ended up spending a long time trying to pick moments because I had a rule for myself of like, don't do Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist, <laughs> um, which made it hard because those are like my favorites in this uh, subgenre. But I just, you know, it's a subgenre we haven't uh explicitly tackled just by itself before. And there is a pretty interesting lineage of horror films that are specifically drawing on horror that dovetails with religion and uh, faith and devotion to gods of uh I will say dubious moral worth and thinking about how that manifests in horror cinema is fun and i just I, I don't know when you listen to a lot of heavy metal you get into some some devil shit so it was the time was right
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh i think it's interesting to explore like like horror is such when you think about it it's like such a huge piece of cinema and it's got all these little Subgenres within it and so i like that we're kind of exploring it we did the comedies we're doing the occult this year or this week and then next week we got something a little bit different too so
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. god knows what we'll be able to pick next year who knows if we're still alive i mean that's, <laughs> that's the right. other thing you know <laughs> um yeah i found though with uh it's interesting and you mentioned this being my sort of idea because then i did struggle a bit picking films and both of my films are in their own ways kind of cheating one of them isn't really like a cult horror so much it is just horror with religious aspects within it and the other film is kind of a film noir with some supernatural stuff going on but uh, I thought you know what it's either that or I talk about either Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and I just I've done it too much just to
0: clarify you're talking about The Exorcist believer that's the one that you yeah yeah to talk about yeah i do
1: have a lot to say about that film in its own way um i don't know why great you, moments when why the credits hit father because <laughs> ian you've met my girlfriend you you know Brooke. <laughs> i went to see the nun 2 in theaters that's a,
3: yeah like, that's true and the worst did part you... is
1: the nun 2 is better than the exorcist <laughs> oh believer is it actually i thought so oh I my
2: God. that's the thing i'm like the horror junkie and i don't even watch that shit so i mean <laughs> How embarrassing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, surely. I mean, the thing is, like, is The Nun 2 actually worse? I don't know. But it, it The Exorcist Believer being in the lineage of films that it's in, and even That's though fair. a lot of the sequels are garbage, they're all interesting in how weird they are. And this one is, like, it took them 50 years, but they eventually made just the exact Exorcist Again sequel that you would have expected they'd have made after the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and that sucks. There. Fair. Um, you're
2: gonna see the uh five nights at five five nights at freddy's yeah
1: so it's funny you say that that trailer played in front of exorcist believer and i turned to Brooke and i'm like i'm drawing a line (laughs) 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 this is too far you want to see it with one of your friends have at her i cannot do this (laughs) <laughs> you get to see the triumphant
2: return of Josh Hutcherson to, to mm-hmm. the And That's what we've all been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, a property that is, what, 10 years too late?
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh. I, uh, I mean, it's the, the timing's right.
2: It. Oh, yeah, for sure. The world's been <laughs> waiting for it. <laughs> all right.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's start things off going back to the 70s instead of these new movies. Yeah. Um, And let's talk about The Omen from 1976 and starring, of course, Gregory Peck, which seems like an odd role for him, but he does kind of like add a little gravitas to it, which I think is kind of cool. Um, So The Omen, of course, is the story of Damien, the, the boy who turns out to be the devil child. And it's a pretty, I mean, when we're talking about the occult movies, this is definitely one of the more popular ones right up there with like exorcist and rosemary's baby maybe Mm -hmm. um and so one of the things i wanted to talk about with the omen is that when i first saw it a few years ago because I, i wasn't really a horror person growing up so i kind of been catching up on them a lot um and so i saw it a few years ago now for the first time and i actually quite liked it quite a bit i know it's definitely not as lauded as something like the exorcist and with good reason the exorcist is amazing Uh, but I still like the omen quite a bit. And one of the things I really liked is the way it kind of foreshadowed what's going to be happening with Damien and what's, you know, what he's all about and just kind of the little hints and drops that are thrown in there. And one of the things I thought was really cool was where him and his mom are going to um, the zoo, basically. I think it's like more of a safari kind of zoo experience thing, but they go to the zoo and Damien kind of, wanders over i think it's the giraffes are first and once he once he goes to see the giraffes the giraffes just kind of they kind of freak out and they all take off running away from him and then they're driving through um the baboons the baboon pen and the baboons start going crazy too and then they actually start attacking the car and and i think this is kind of a nice it's kind of like a step up between just a hint about what he's about and now it's like okay Something is really going on with this kid. Um a little while earlier, he they like take him to a church and he starts freaking out about going to the church, but now we're kind of seeing all these things around him, like how he's changing the environment around him. And I think it's just a cool little touch and it really adds to the buildup of the mystery of who is this kid and and why is what's there's abnormal about him and why. Why are all these things happening around him? And of course we, we will get answers to that and things just kind of keep stepping up a notch from there. Um, But I kind of pick this as kind of a nice little middle point between faint hints about, about his evil nature and really getting into kind of the crazier stuff that happens later in the movie. So not a big moment, not a lot to say about it, but I like it. I think it's, I think it's a cool touch.
1: Yeah, I like
2: plus, it. It's also impressive too, like how they were able to orchestrate that. I mean, think of that at the time, like how that's they were animals to, to to do all that, like just drowse right in the way. I mean, that's pretty impressive for mm-hmm. 1970, whatever, 76, yep. 70, whatever yeah. Yep. Yeah, 76, yeah, whatever, yeah. Directing animals is hard. I would imagine. Oh well, no, for no. sure. I mean, <laughs> Um, just, like fired a cannon or something like that near them and they ran away scared. <laughs> 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 well,
1: and there's something else I love about this scene in terms of just how it's constructed is the shots of, especially when the baboons start reacting to him in terror is the shots of Damien looking at them smiling because you can imagine on set, you know, the direction is not all right, kid, you're going to look creepy at these things. It's just like you see animals and you smile, but because of what it's cut against that smile reads as being this terrifying, uh, you know, expression of like his delight in his own fear he's causing in these creatures and the power he has. And it's all the more perfect because it's not overdoing like a creepy child smile. He just kind of looks weird and generally as a kid, like he doesn't not to say he's like an unattractive kid or whatever he looks like a, you know weirdo, but there's something about him that's just not quite precocious cute movie kid. So yeah. when he does smile in the context of everything else, it has this um more sinister, implication um which is great and it's also like just perfect in terms of um you know people talk about and i don't know how true this is because i'm not an animal person but like animals can sense you know when you're when you're not well or when something's wrong they can sense it and there's an aspect of it that always seems a little bit i don't know new wave mysticism to me but at the same time you know this idea of like such a primal evil that animals are instinctively reacting to it is a very provocative uh way to sell that not just the escalation but also sell the terror that he sort of uh brings with him
0: yeah i i always like the idea of like animals can sense things that we're kind of blind to and i don't think it's new agey i think it's i don't know i think it's just nature and more it's more about like natural instinct
1: maybe um, i don't know nothing about animals (laughs)
2: I'm with you, Ian. I I agree with that, but I also think I'm more of an animal person than
3: (laughs) Dan. No,
0: like dogs, for example, dogs can definitely sense like if something's off, or you know that they've got a good sense of the. They can read a room.
2: We'll say that (laughs) dogs are good at reading a room. Totally, hundred percent. They're not like cats where they just like jump around and knock shit, knock shit.
1: That's on. the thing. Cats read of the room is always there's a Damien in the room, no matter okay. what. Yeah.
2: be <laughs> Like, what? Like, what do you
3: want?
1: <laughs> so that,
2: that is a really cool moment. The Owen in general is like, I don't want to say it's underrated because like it's not like it's one of the most famous horror movies ever, but I think it's underappreciated. Because, yeah, people always talk about, like, The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby, but The Omen is genuinely really, really good. And I would argue that The Omen 2 and The Omen 3 are also actually really good, and they're definitely worth a watch. And they're such an interesting film franchise in that sense, where every entry is about the same character years later, and then how they, you know, react to the time period they're in. And it's um very cool moment. But, yeah, no, for sure, that, that scene is awesome. And... Is, is that before or after the church scene? It's been a minute. That comes after the church scene, I'm pretty sure. It comes after.
3: Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. The but It seems
2: probably like the first moment, the first real moment that you're like, okay, like something's like, something's not good here. And I think it's just, it's just Lee Remick and um, I forget her name, uh, her character name, but it's just her and Damien at the zoo. Gregory Peck's not there. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. right okay. And because that's the whole point in the movie, too, where, like, she's like, okay, this, like, this kid isn't right. And Gregory Peck's like, ah, no, nah, it's fine, whatever. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. But, like, that's such, like, a traumatic moment for, mm-hmm. uh, for Lee Remick to deal with. And, uh, yeah, really, um, really just emphasizes, like, the kind of relationship between her and Damien, where she's going through all this, like, traumatic stuff with him. And Gregory Peck just doesn't believe her. Fun fact about Gregory Peck in that movie, apparently he would go through with the editor during the editing process and make sure you could never see his double chin in any shots of the movie.
3: <laughs> what
1: he a king. Like
2: and he's like, oh, I'm doing this like bullshit, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, don't, don't let them see my double chin.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, pride's a sin, you know? Maybe he deserved the the hell spawn he brought into the world. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's funny though. I, I like this scene too because you talk about like the... The way it establishes something's not right, because it's kind of a perfect uh, choice of um, moment for her, the mother, to really believe something's wrong. And this kid is there's something afoul afoot. But it's also completely plausible that everyone else would be like, no, this is that you're not talking. You have no actual evidence. Right. Because like we watching a movie know, OK, these are cinematically signs that, you know, these aren't just being put in there for coincidence. They are there for purpose. But the characters reactions of disbelief still make sense because there's it's so frustrating and especially horror movies where there's like a supernatural element of play. And it's like, I'm telling you, Chucky's trying to kill me. It's like, ah, no, he's not, son. Where as an audience, it's just like, I get that it's supposed to be frustrating, but also it's too frustrating. Like, come on, let's move this along. But this is a good balance where, yeah, you feel like things are escalating in enough of a dramatic way that it's exciting and you buy into the terror. But other people's disbelief is still totally reasonable within the narrative.
0: Yeah, because she'd be like, something's wrong with Damien's. The giraffes ran away. And you're like, the giraffes ran away? He's like, yeah,
3: okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't cite evidence like that in like a right. court, for example. Yeah, it doesn't
0: really work. No, <laughs> that's a good point. I yeah, think one of, my, one of the moments that really sold this movie for me but I didn't bring it up because it's not a small moment. Is is the nanny?
1: Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the best scene of the film. Oh, that was that's <laughs> so good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, you. Yeah.
0: So oh, haunting.
2: Such, such a good moment. I thought you were going to talk about Gregory Peck, uh, Gregory Peck trying to stab the child to death, and then the cops come in and shoot him.
1: <laughs> that's pretty sweet too.
2: It's a small moment, but uh, it's like a blinker blinker you'll miss it moment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing I think though when you talk about like this movie being underappreciated. I think part of that is because it's got a lot of the sort of um, pretenses of being this classier horror film, like in its cast, especially in the tone, the score. uh, That's directed by Richard Donner, who's not like a prestige director per se, but he's a very well-known. Yeah. 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 But it's also like when you break it down, I think the main appeal of the movie is it's got a series of amazing deaths. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's like a
2: Um, movie, but like a really good one.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it's a slasher movie that proceeds like it's trying to be nominated for Oscars, but also still delivers in giving you exciting and fun kills. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's
2: true. Like the drama is like so well acted and the movie takes itself really seriously. And then you mm-hmm. have like like the photographer character. I cannot remember the actor who plays him. He's somewhat famous, but... Is it Warner? David Warner? Yes, David Warner. Ah. Thank you. Thank you. But then you have like his death scene where like the sheet of glass like decapitates <laughs> them. And it's, it's like schlock, like it's pure schlock, but like mm. it's, it's amazing. And then you cut back to, you know, quote unquote, like Oscar-worthy like performances and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but I think when I first saw it, I was like probably I don't know, 13, 14. And yeah, I had this image that it was a classier horror movie. And I think like watching movies like The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, like those were some of the first ones I saw they really, they kind of set you up for disappointment in a way because you're like, wow, horror is such like a prestigious genre. <laughs> and then you watch like, you know, zombies or whatever. and it's just, <laughs> You're in for a rude awakening, but uh, mm-hmm. I know for sure. You're
1: right. Like it does. David Warner, you're right.
2: David Warner, Gregory Peck, Lee Remick
1: yeah that's good people and that's I, something you mentioned the sequels i love that omen two. the lead is william holden who's a perfect like mm-hmm. sort of older classic hollywood gentleman on his kind of not like on the way out but he's not he's not the big matinee idol anymore but he's still bringing this gravitas um yeah i like that i appreciate and i like that as just like a gimmick in a sense of like this series is like we're gonna bring in classy old hollywood <laughs> veterans yeah, um, which kind of oh, falls no, away but... by the time of three, but at that point, Damien's an adult, so that makes sense.
2: Yeah, like Sam Neill, but he probably wasn't famous at the time, he was probably just like a mid level, uh, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah, great actor, though. So, in a way, it kind of worked oh, out. Oh, yeah, I know for sure, it totally it worked go on out. to become yeah. such a you know yeah. powerhouse. Nice, so
0: all right. Well, Miles, why don't we throw it over to you for your first pick, which, of course, <laughs> is a movie I have not heard of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's all on YouTube. Is it real? Okay. Yeah, under an account called Trash Cinema is King.
0: <laughs> there we
1: go. <laughs> or Trash Cinema is Life. Sorry, it's, pr-
2: it's probably on Tubi somewhere too. <laughs> but no, it. Um, I saw it on Shutter. Is uh, okay, cool. I saw it, and it it had a cool thumbnail, and I was actually it was before you even told me what the topic was. We were, uh, I was looking through the different subgenres in Shutter, and occult was one of them, and I was like, all right, what do you got? Um. Yeah, the Devonsville Terror, which is a movie I hadn't really heard of and knew nothing about. And even after watching it, it's not like it's not a movie I can like wholeheartedly recommend, but there's two factors in it that made it seem like a good first pick before I got to a pick that I'm actually passionate about where um, the opening scene of the movie is of a quote unquote "witch in the woods uh boiling like a cauldron like doing classic witchy things and there's a bunch of like puritan hunters i guess looking for this witch that approach her and kidnap her and then they tie her down and then the like the ringleader of these puritans is like reading her last rites and saying like oh like you worship satan like you're a burden on this community and you reject god all the kind of like you know traditional um Things And then they have these like pigs or boars, I guess, surrounding her that they just let loose and then they start eating her alive. And it's such a like kind of shocking moment. And it's like surprisingly, like it's fairly graphic and gritty for what it is that I totally was not expecting it. Like I threw it on just expecting like a really like slow burn, maybe atmospheric would be a bonus kind of like witch movie and then it just opens with this really gritty, gruesome scene and like I was hooked and I was like oh my god like that is so good and then it fades to the opening credits and it opens up saying it was directed by Yuli Lamel who is like the worst director of all time like people talk about Juve Boll and then there's Yuli Lamel and the two of them I think are interconnected I think Juve Boll was like a a student of Yuli Lamel and he is just complete hack does nothing but trash, and I was shocked that the opening scene was that kind of compelling for what it is. <laughs> it's revealed that it's by this absolute hackster, <laughs> and uh, but I, I was in. I was like, all right, sure. Donald Pleasance was in it. I didn't even realize. I'm like, hey, I love Donald Pleasance, and yeah, so I sat through the entire movie. I actually really liked it, and I felt dirty after. <laughs> what are we <you> doing watching this? <laughs> <laughs> this trash for this guy but it what, what's really cool about it is that you hear in a lot of occult movies or movies about um you know say worshippers or witches the different ways that they would execute people that they thought were witches and this movie just shows all of them like they tie this woman to like a giant wheel and like push it down a hill so you have this wheel that's on fire with this dummy in the front that's just bumping over hills and stuff they burn people alive like it, it's Surprisingly graphic and weirdly captivating for for what it is. Um, but I think if uh, yeah, if you're interested in the call of cinema, it's uh, probably worth checking out because it really, uh, really plays up the witchy aspect of it. And it takes place in early November in like a small New England town and the atmosphere is just great. I mean, like the it has a really great fall kind of almost cozy feel to it. But then there's this underlying narrative of, uh, you know, witches <laughs> taking up in this town. And then you have Donald Pleasance acting like he doesn't care at all, which is great. <laughs> my favorite kind of dog.
0: Unlike movie. Halloween where he cares a little too much.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he just checked out. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm in this crap. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was worth bringing up because it was fresh on my mind. But, uh, yeah, it was a really cool movie. And I was – very disappointed how much I enjoyed it given that it was directed by someone <laughs> who I despised. Oh man, I can't believe I <laughs> like this movie. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm like sitting there with my arms crossed like, well, it's not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, is
0: it a like contemporary setting or was like uh, the opening it, set it, in old it times? It and...
2: takes place in, um, so the opening takes place in like 16, it's not, it's not the exact date of the Salem witch like trial. Classic witch. It's days. very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 1692 or something like that. And then it fast forwards like 300 years later and it's in uh yeah, it's in modern times. And it's like the descendants of the people who track down these witches are still living in this town. And then these three women move into this town and one of them gets like possessed by the spirit of the, the witches who were killed by these townsfolk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's it's really good. Like if you're if you're into that kind of history and that atmosphere, which I am, it uh, yeah, it's it's a really solid watch. And who'd have thought that a hack German filmmaker would uh, would be able to pull something like that off? But you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, is the is the movie German or is it English or no, it's English, it's, it's English. Oh, okay. so it's American. It's American. But okay. uh, I I clicked on it because I thought it was going. Well, to I guess to be Donald funny. Pleasance. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be British. I don't know why, but it uh, it wasn't because like, uh, mm. a yeah, New England town. But um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a cool movie.
0: I gotta but... say, as you're describing the scene, I kind of like that irony of like the townspeople, you know, reeling against this witch for turning away from God, and then they go to proceed to feed her <laughs> to boars <laughs> who eat her alive. I'm like, what? <laughs> Well, one totally of you have
2: a... about like witch hunting history and stuff it's like the the stuff that they did to these poor women is like crazy and then they claim that they're doing it by the hand of god and it's like yeah are you sure about that like yeah. i don't know it's, it's a
0: good happy. way to take that idea to the extreme that oh totally totally
2: yeah
1: i mean you think about those some of the quotes and i'm admittedly i'm not d- directly quoting the bible i'm quoting the girl with the dragon tattoo quoting the bible <laughs> no, but when dude. it's like if a woman lay with uh you know and then the sort of punishment forward is like you shall cut her throat and the throat of the beast and it's like i mean i guess that is canon (laughs) that's how you do it so
3: yeah
1: (laughs) totally what's that uh george carlin quote about you know who says life is sacred god hey if you read the bible god's one of the leading causes of death (laughs) so uh i love the scene just as i watched it uh, just the opening and it felt like like a 10 minute prologue shrunk into like four where mm-hmm. you can imagine this being because I remember like the first shot or the first couple shots of like her alone and like in the woods. And I think there's like a fire just sort mm-hmm. of small. Mm-hmm. And then she gets like almost instantly is surrounded by these, you know, townsfolk ready to execute. And I, you could imagine it being a longer sequence of setting this atmosphere of her alone in this very like, you know, Salem-esque uh, tone and setting and set the stage for the movie and then the sort of horror builds but it's like you get just enough to have like the bare sort of establishment done. All right. Into the, the violence of it. It just oh, felt totally. like a very like, you know, and I don't even want to say that in a crass way. Cause I think it is well done, but just, we know exactly what we want to do and we're going to do exactly what we need to get to those beats.
2: Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Well, it's almost like he could have done more with it if he wanted, like you had all the pieces there that it could mm. have actually been, like, I don't know, a classier production that's like, nah, people want gore. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> just, let's give it to them. And it's like, ah, you're like, you're on the right track. But
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Did
2: you watch the scenes after the credits?
1: I did not. No.
2: Okay. Yeah. Like Because it's basically just, it's almost like a, like a slasher movie after that, where it's like, I think two or three different murder scenes just after that. So they show the first one credits roll they have the next one where they tie the woman to the wheel and they have one after that where they burn someone alive and there might be one after that i don't sounds bad that i don't remember i watched it like a week ago but <laughs> what an impression it made but that's
1: fine i watched the first resident <laughs> evil last night and i already don't remember what happened
2: oh hell yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> i remember it ended with slipknot though so that's pretty cool mm-hmm. I thought, I
2: thought one of them ends with Marilyn Manson. I know that because back in the days with like iPods, when you had uh, the song playing, it had whatever the album artwork was. And it was uh, a <laughs> fight song by Marilyn Manson. And it was one of the Resident Evil movie posters was like the-
1: amazing. I think it is in like, I looked at the IMDb soundtrack and it looked like it's there too, but a lot of it is just played like over action scenes and it's no lyrics. So it's hard to tell kind of which songs are which. <laughs> Because you also just have like machine guns firing constantly. So, um,
2: um, sorry to. <laughs> so, with, with this movie, I thought it opened up kind of an interesting question is that, is there a time when you watched a scene from a movie that was directed by someone who you blatantly disrespected or did not like, but you were actually kind of shocked that you enjoyed that moment? To do a quick oh. little divergence here, throw That's that. That's a good
1: question. Mind. Um, I will say I'll let Ian think I don't have a moment that's that exactly, but I did have a similar feeling of being like catfished by you're enjoying something. And it's like, Oh no, it's you. No, (laughs) (laughs) I was watching TCM and they have between movies, the little, they have all sorts of little extras. And one of them is like someone, it's like a little profile on Kirk Douglas. And you hear someone narrating about how much they grew up watching Kirk's movies and how much they admired him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening. It's, you know, nice and affable and agreeable and I'm enjoying it. And towards the end, I hear the voice say something like, you know, on the set of uh, Rush Hour, he came and visited and was wonderful. I'm like, wait, no. And I get to the end, fraternity classic movies. I'm Brett Ratner. It's like, no, <laughs> it's not fair. It's not right. So. It's
3: perfect
1: oh. <laughs> and I would say actually with with Brett, like, I'll, I don't know if Red Dragon has any moments I think are particularly well-directed. But it's more competent than I'm used to seeing from him. So, mm-hmm. like, I do like that movie in spite of him.
3: It's
2: good. Uh, Manhunt is way better.
1: Yes,
3: it, I mean, uh,
2: it it benefits a lot just from a really strong story and mm-hmm. uh, good performances. But like, it's almost good in spite of Brett Brad
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's not so untalented that he can't mess this up. Like, there's a good enough foundation. Yeah. That... No, for I, sure. I guess actually that movie, the DUC scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman's tied to the chair and he's showing the photos. Yeah. Um,
2: you, you're right. That's a really good moment. But again, like I think that's a highly elevated by Philip Seymour Hoffman.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's also interesting that both it and Manhunter are shot by the same cinematographer. Really? Yeah. That's
3: a
2: fun little bit of trivia. Wow.
1: So it also cool. is a good example of how important a director is because Manhunter looks way better despite being the same story with the same cinematographer. <laughs>
2: I like to think that the cinematographer didn't even know that it was like <laughs> it was also an adaptation They're just like yeah
0: um, the only thing I can think of is there. I was watching this one movie and it's kind of like a cops and robbers movie with people kind of like undercover and things and it ends with like the the guy who was like the bad cop he ends up being shot in his apartment by another guy who's wearing like slipper shoes and then all of a sudden it came up and it says and it was directed by that jerk that hates the Marvel movies and it's just a complete cinema snob and I was like oh really this guy this guy directed the movie I like yeah
3: Yeah, what's Marty
0: (laughs) yeah
1: more like Farty Scorsese (laughs) am I right
2: couldn't believe it it. it's funny too with Yuli lamel I mean the only reason I dislike him is because back in the days of uh it'd be like a Friday night you go to the video store and you rent some movies and My friends and I would go and we'd just get a bunch of horror movies. And there was a movie called The Tomb that had a really cool cover, as they do. And on the back, it said, it it like compared it to Saw. It was like, you know, in the vein of Saw or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be incredible. And then you watch it and it's like, it was like filmed on someone's phone. like It was just like piece of crap, like just nothing low budget movie that should never have been put. In a DVD case, and it was directed by Yuli LaMau. So, <laughs> I was uh, 13. And I just declared that he was my nemesis,
1: <laughs> enemy for life.
2: Never really Let's considering see. that in his heyday, he directed a couple competent movies. I mean, he he's somewhat known. He made a movie called The Boogeyman back in uh, the 80s. That is like somewhat of a cult classic. But then he just did nothing but crap during the 2000s. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not really fair to judge him on that. I mean Derry Argento has done his fair share of crap in the two thousands as well, but he's still a master. But yeah,
0: I can't really think of like directors that I generally dislike. I mean Michael Bayes, I think, is a hack. Um I My mean, boy. But, but he's but he's every everybody kind of thinks that, so that's not very original. Ever- I don't like Matthew Vaughn very much, I guess. I don't know. That's about all, that all I can. You
2: think know, of. it's funny. I I I was watching the trailer for that Argyle movie, and it said like from the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughn. And I was like, eh. like I, you know, like, I was like that's not that's not an appropriate quote for him. I'm like, he's not bad. Twisted look.
1: <laughs> also, his best movie by far is his most restrained X Men First Class. Yeah, that I don't agree <laughs> with totally. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's weird to be like yeah. his crazy wacky mind. It's like the crazier he gets, the kind of worse he gets.
2: Oh, totally. Like he's <laughs> is probably like his craziest, and it's like his worst movie. But
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
0: All right. Well, Dan. Um. Yeah, that was a good. <laughs> that was a good. I like. I like you setting up that scene, Miles. I think that's a cool scene. Thank you, I
2: appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> I will watch this movie. It's always Dan fun knows. to pick something that I know that no one's. No one's <laughs> <heard>. <laughs> the next one's know. a bit more accessible but yeah
0: well Dan I'm very interested to hear about what this movie's all about because I don't know much about this one either
1: well I mean you're in luck because I'm going to spoil everything about the ending Cool, that's fine and it is kind of a twist but it's not a hard twist to predict so the movie I'm talking about is Angel Heart and if we were to call it a horror movie it's a horror movie that gradually reveals itself to be that because as it starts it's really more of a film noir detective story uh Mickey rourke plays a investigator named uh Nick, is it actually Nicholas Angel now that I think about it? No, no, what? it's Harry Angel. Um he's Harry Angel and he's hired um by this man named Louis Cypher to find this missing person that Louis Cypher?
0: Louis Cypher. Oh, yeah, I know where the, what the twist is.
1: Can you guess that the pun I, I that think I Louis Cypher is actually Lucifer? And yeah, it turns out that Robert De Niro plays the devil. And he has hired Harry to find this missing person. And the missing person he's supposed to find is actually himself. Basically, he had sold his soul. We learned this gradually over the course of the film. He sold his soul to the devil for uh, riches and success and whatnot. And then trying to back out of the deal, essentially did this ritual to try and erase his own identity and take over someone else's life and body so that he'd be able to uh, back out of his contract. And so the devil basically hires him to hunt down himself in the process, discovering his true identity and then claim his soul and and bring it to hell, Um, which is awesome. I love that. So the movie is him like going to picking up the pieces of this guy who disappeared and what his life was. And along the way, all the people that he talks to getting murdered in pretty ghoulish and uh, violent ways, which is also where the movie starts to reveal like, okay, this isn't just a noir. The deaths here are a little too, a little too elaborate and a little too fantastical. Um, But the moment I'm choosing is the very end of the film when, you know, Lewis Cypher has won. Harry realizes what he's done. He tries one last ditch effort to get away, realizes it's all over because he's going to be uh, also in just the normal, non-satanic world charged for a murder. And one of the cops says to him, you're going to burn for this, Harry. And he says, I know. And it ends with the credits start rolling, but it keeps cutting back to this like old timey elevator that Harry is in, slowly descending down this like rickety metal shaft. And it keeps cutting back to this. So the credits are rolling and you get this elevator and it's it's just this nonstop um, returning to this descent. And at the very end of the credits, you see the elevator finally arrive at the bottom and stop. And then the movie's over. Um and I love this because it's so unconventional to how I normally like my movies to end. I usually like the ending, especially in horror films, to be like a very clear, definitive end point, And that's it. No extra, extra nonsense. End strongly and let me and let an audience reflect on it. But this does the opposite. It keeps ending and then bringing you back into the film for a little more. But what it's bringing you back for is this long, dreadful, awful descent into oblivion. And the imagery of like, because it's one of those old timey ladders with like the uh, uh, elevator, sorry, with like the metal almost um, like grate that gets pulled across. It's kind of like in stores what they pull up so the glass doesn't get smashed in off hours. Sure. Um, it's got you see the chain sort of dwindling down. It's it's this dark chasm. So the and vi- which is both consistent with the noir uh, throwback genre piece that it's doing, but also with evoking this. Uh, greater sense of horror that it's not clean or nice it's it's brutal and metallic and machine-like and just the pit of disgust in your stomach that builds as you realize like there's there's no escape all the running around and trying to out uh, outrun your fate and your decisions there's there's nowhere left to go you're just down to the bottom it's chilling stuff and as far as uh occult horror and thinking about the horror of you know uh a sort of being beyond your comprehension that has power over you. I think that's such a simple evocation of that idea and it chills me. And it's the thing, like I saw the movie for the first time, like my dad showed it to me every so often. He'll show me something really cool when I was young that leaves like a big impact. And I hadn't seen it since I was like maybe 14. And I rewatched it a couple months ago. And the one, there's two images I had in my head. One was the sex scene that's covered in chicken blood. Great scene. Highly recommend and this scene with the elevator and, yeah, returning to that was, like, genuinely so chilling. So that's my moment, baby. The uh, elevator to hell.
0: Sorry, who is playing the the
1: detective? Mickey Rourke.
0: Mickey Rourke, okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's, it's in between. It's when he's still handsome. It's when he was still, like, kind of a Bruce Willis-esque matinee idol. But it's also, like, of the movies he did of that period that were, like, trying to be star vehicles, it's one of the best because it realizes, like, Mickey's at his best when he's playing kind of shady and shitty people and not handsome, charming, leading men.
3: Right.
0: So, yeah, that, that does sound chilling. I've not, I've not seen this movie, but um, yeah, that's quite a way to end it.
1: And I will say, well, it's supposed to be a twist. Uh, I have the Blu-ray cover here, and it doesn't exactly try and make it subtle. <laughs> <laughs> audience, we've got De Niro in the center with a beard and a cane surrounded in a ring of fire, so... Who I do think it's guessed? funny that
0: <laughs> I do think it's funny that like two actors who always seem like connected when people talk about like film actors are De Niro and Pacino. And then they both essentially play the same roles because yep. like somebody's boss who turns out to be the devil. That's going to that's funny.
1: And the funny thing with that is like I haven't seen The Devil's Advocate, but I've seen clips and Pacino's right. like at peak. Hoo-ha! Like he's the most anim- like I'm a fan of man like he's yelling constantly. <laughs> Very nice uh,
0: Pacino. Yeah.
1: But De Niro in Angel Heart, because it's it's 87, it's released, and the character looks ridiculous. Like he has this long jet black hair, he's got these grotesquely long fingernails, he's got this cartoonish beard, but De Niro really underplays it. Like he's so quiet and he doesn't overemphasize his presence. He's very polite, but in like a disconcerting way. Like he first meets one of his early scenes with Angel is in a church where he's debriefing him and you know, Harry's a hard hard edge noir uh, detective. So he's swearing and being kind of degrading in his speech. And, you know, Lewis just whispering like, this is a church. And it's just like, it's friendly almost, but it's just a little too, a little too possessive in the way he treats them. He also has one of my favorite lines at the end. It's a little, well, it's a lot on the nose, but when Harry's struggling to realize like, yes, he is this other person and you hear off camera De Niro say, no matter how cleverly you sneak up on our mirror, your reflection always looks at you straight in the eye. I love that. I think that's great. So And his eyes one? turn yellow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you seen this one, Miles?
2: I haven't. No. I um I I looked up what I thought was the scene you were talking about. I looked up like Angel Heart Elevator. I don't think it was, was that scene. It um involved Mickey Rourke like opening up like his jacket and there was like blood everywhere. Or maybe mm-hmm. that wasn't him. I don't know, but it's uh um, also good. I didn't realize it was the ending, but it looked... I'm I'm shocked I haven't heard of this movie, actually. <laughs> I hadn't heard of it until, like, you know, a couple days ago when I saw that you were doing it. But that sounds very, very cool. I so will be checking it out.
1: Nice. It's so a good De- film.
2: De Niro plays, like, the quote-unquote devil. And then, uh, what, Mickey works like a detective solving something?
1: <laughs> solving his own disappearance. Like, find this missing person. He owes me some money. Okay, Just kidding, the missing person is you and the money is your soul.
2: (laughs) Oh. Okay, well good, I don't have to watch it. It's great.
1: (laughs) That's the problem with talking about this is like, the thing I love most involves spelling out most of everything. I do think it's worth watching just for again, that sex scene I mentioned is insane. It got Lisa Bonnett fired from the Cosby show. Uh, really she played the daughter the teenage daughter on that show and she did this movie and bill cosby was so disgusted you know bastion of high moral integrity bill cosby (laughs) uh and so yeah she got canned for it which is a shame because she's it's she's really good in the film and that scene is like fantastic you do not forget that so
0: who did was it any is there any notable director like it was directed
1: by alan parker who for me is most noteworthy for directing pink floyd the wall Okay. Um, and he also directed Midnight Express, I believe.
2: He did Angel's Ashes, did he not?
1: Maybe I don't know. He's had a like an interesting career. Um, I'll pull up his Wikipedia right now to talk about how interesting it was. <laughs> yeah, Angel's just... Ashes was his like second last movie. Oh, cool. As- I've never seen that.
2: Just read his Wikipedia page. Suspend like. A... Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I also he also directed right after this, he makes Mississippi Burning, which gets nominated for Best Picture. This I think okay. is much better. It's much it's like hokey genre stuff, but it owns it so fully. He also makes Bugsy Malone with the kids with the guns <laughs> that shoot pies. So, you know, and he, he made does Big on the Wall, which is one of the I think best movies ever made. So
2: Wow, very cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that there is something about like just simple, simple imagery, like using something pretty every day, something that everybody uses and using it for a purpose to like, like you said, to chill you to the bone. Mm-hmm. That's that horror movies can be really good at. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's also, I think, important for this being a genre mashup where it's like if it ended with him in a literal hell, like a very traditional like flames and stuff like it would It'd be very horror esque, but it would destroy any pretenses of film noir at that point. Right, but just this this elevator descending in the dark it perfectly maintains both, um, and it also is much cheaper, so that's a plus too. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: know you're talking about those elevators, though they're they're very creepy with like the the gate that like you have to close before going up and down. So that would be a really effective image.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, nice pick, man. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a good film. Sweet.
2: check it out add it to the to the list
0: (laughs) all right i'm gonna move on to my next pick which is from 20 oh shoot 2018 i was gonna say 2019 but i think it was the year before 2018 and from director ari aster and this is i think it was his first movie which is hereditary which is kind of about this family that's going through some weird stuff and it kind of like the omen i guess it's got some parallels there um and so, okay, so here's the deal. I don't want to do spoilers, but it's going to be really tricky to talk about my moment without them. But I, but here's the thing. If there's there are people who are into horror movies that haven't seen this yet, um, A, I want to give you a warning because it's, pr- it's pretty intense. Uh, but I also don't want to spoil it for you, so I'm going to do my best. So I'm going to set this up by saying that there is an event in the movie that is... Um, Tragic. There's a tragic event in the movie. And that's all I'm going to say about it. My moment is a response. Real head
1: scratcher moment, you know?
0: (laughs) My uh, my, uh, my moment is going to be the response to this big thing that has happened to this character. The character's name is Peter. He's the teenage son of the family. And yeah, so something pretty crazy happens. And when this happens... His response to it to this event so that again I'm not saying is pretty interesting the way that they filmed it. So basically, he just kinda He kind of just like numbly leaves the scene, goes into his house, goes up to his bedroom, lays down on his bed. Almost like nothing happened at all. Although his expression shows that he is absolutely in the state of shock. Um, but the director, and the screenwriter have decided that he's not going to deal with this the way that most normal people would deal with this or most normal movie characters even would deal with this. We're going to make his response kind of a statement in and of itself. And so he's just decided he's not dealing with this at all. He's just leaving it behind him. He will not even allow his mind to process what has happened. He's just going to bed and he's just going to leave it. Maybe he'll wake up and some that find out it never happened. Maybe he's just got no idea what he should have been doing. He's got no idea how he should have handled this. And then the other interesting thing is that as he's laying there in bed, we kind of got a close up on his face. He's of course not sleeping. He's just eyes are wide awake, but very subtly in the background, you can hear the noise of other people reacting to it. And that in itself is also a very interesting way to approach, to approach a scene like this. Um, what Ari is trying to say with this, or is he making a commentary about this character or is he just trying to get us as the audience to think, what would we do in that situation? Would How would we react differently? Um, and maybe even getting some people to address would you act differently or would you do the complete shutdown like he did? Uh, So yeah, I think focusing on this weird response is kind of a neat, a neat thing that, that he did. So.
1: Yeah, it's a good moment, Ian. Uh, My hat's off to you for choosing this. So, um, I, one of the things I like about this is this idea of, um, the idea of like something so horrific and awful happens to you and not knowing how to handle it the city of like well if i go to bed maybe it's all a bad dream and i wake up and it's all solved like as much as and i i can kind of grasp with that idea because i find whenever like not even necessarily something horrifying or awful happens in my own life but something that's just like a big life altering piece of information There's this weird sort of like thinking through, of like, how do we deal with this or get past this? And there is this almost idea of like, I don't know, maybe the next morning it'll be okay, And of course, it won't be like those things don't just go away. But there I do relate sort of strongly to that idea to uh, cling to, I don't know, some hope that we can just sleep past it and it'll be it'll resolve itself. I'd like to think we're in this situation. I'd handle it a bit more proactively but i yeah. recognize the instinct to do what uh, what peter does
0: yeah i'm kind of with you i more it's like the instinct of i'm not going to know what to do immediately i need i need at least a moment to think about how to react to it i kind of get that yeah yeah i'm with you it makes you think about it that's for sure
2: it's a very like human kind of relatable moment it's like what would you do in that situation and it's like you're you're a teenager you don't really know how to handle what just happened. You're just going to be like, okay, I'm just going to go home and go to bed. And yeah, they just cut to him just like lying awake. Like he doesn't sleep at all. And then he just waits and he hears his mother going downstairs to the car to like discover what happened. And you just hear Tony Collette's like blood curdling scream. But um, yeah, like it's just such a moment of like, how, like, w- like what do you do? Like what, what would he have done? And kind of like as an audience, you're like, Hey, what, what, would the proper course of action be in that scenario? And it's like, like I don't know, nothing. Just pretend that nothing happened and just go. Back. Uh, mm. I, swear, I would argue that's like the best scene in the movie. I mean, I mean awesome. uh, the, the scene before it and then the aftermath. Like nothing. I don't know. Nothing quite tops it after that.
1: It's. Yeah, a... I agree. Yeah. And it's yeah, sort of I... the moment where it's like you really feel the sort of narrative shift in terms of what you think the movie's going to be like at that point it's like, Oh, I don't know now where we're going. Yeah. Um, and it, to, to its credit, like when I saw this, I didn't, I don't think I'd even seen a trailer. I went in pretty blind. So that helped a lot too. Mm-hmm. But um, it was such a genuine, like unexpected shock that I did feel pretty uh, in an exciting way. felt very adrift of like, I don't know where this filmmaker is going to take me now think this I think this is good
2: it's uh it's very vague they they keep it they keep it pretty simple they they don't reveal what
0: <laughs> yeah
2: sorry yeah I was just
0: gonna say this I think this moment is also indicative of like how Ari Aster is approaching this story as well like just not quite what you expect it to be um so like his response isn't quite what other people's responses would be and it's not really what you've seen before and he kind of carries just that mentality through the whole movie too like Mm -hmm. the mood is very particular right the tone that he's setting is very particular um and i think he really surprised people with just how sure of a hand he had for like his first major movie
1: Mm -hmm. and i will say like we're kind of judging to an extent peter's choice here or there's a certain like hindsight of like maybe going to bed was not the optimal choice in that moment um, but at the same time, I mean, it's 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 a, like it's a crisis moment of such magnitude that, you know, the idea that he needs to take time to reflect before acting is not unfound. Like in a moment like this, you don't want to lose your head. So taking that time to regroup and collect himself, it's not like it's not an unthoughtful choice in its own way, even though in, at the same time, it's also a completely thoughtless choice that would almost seem worse in the aftermath for the parents when they find out what has happened
0: yeah but it's not something that people do though like that's Mm -hmm. like when like there's countless tragedies in the world but people generally i think don't react like this so
1: true We also have
0: that in our heads too But this tragedy
1: is so weird that it's like well how would you because it's not even just that like the the thing that happens is sad or horrible but it's like He is there's a level of his own guilt and culpability in that moment. It's also so specifically violent and unpleasant that it feels otherworldly, which is also where this idea of like, well, maybe if I go to sleep, I'll wake up and everything's okay. Because it does seem it's so extreme that it's you know, like without revealing exactly what it is, although I've cheekily alluded to it a couple times now. Um I tried to
0: do my best to say vague, just.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you got to have fun with it, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, why are we even here? But um, it's not just that like something bad happens, but it's so bizarre. And that really like puts it in a different sort of category in terms of how you evaluate this. You know, like if it was the case where, I don't know, they were just like in a car accident and someone like got injured or or died. Like that's awful, but it's like, it exists within a world that we make sense of. This is so bizarre. Like I would never have heard of anything like this happening to anyone that it's like, well, what is even, how do I even make sense of like myself in this moment right now?
0: That's a good point. Yeah. I don't, have you guys, have you guys seen this movie a lot? I think I've only seen it the once. I just, and I liked it. I thought it was really strong, but I just have not been able to bring myself to watch it a second time.
1: <laughs> I think I've watched it at least twice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think two or three times. I, I have it, like I, I have it on Blu-ray and I saw it, and it's open. So I've, I've watched it <laughs> at, least, uh, at least once uh, since theaters. But yeah, that, that was a fun movie theater experience because it's not like, it's not like a fun teenagers drinking kind of horror movie. It's like you have to like shut up and pay attention to what's happening. And I saw it in a packed theater full of teenagers. And, and oh my God, that was not mm. Yeah. I know it was like it was the same with um, The Witch, which uh we're not gonna talk about, but holy shit. Like that's just I know I've the worst I have the worst luck with horror movies, especially A twenty four horror movies if you try and see them in a the theater. Like I was strategic when I saw Midsummer. To go, like I think it was like a, it was like a Wednesday afternoon or something like that. Me too. I, I, picked, I picked like a really bizarre time to go see it because I did not want like an annoying crowd. I I think I've told this on the podcast before.
0: I did the same thing with Midsummer. I went to see it like in a afternoon matinee because it was summer yeah. and I was off, and it was me and one couple. So I like completely <laughs> ruined their date. <laughs> <laughs>
2: They were like, "Damn, we're gonna talk through the whole movie," and they're yeah. upset.
1: or yeah. we were gonna. Well, the weird thing is that you sat right next to them. Like that's really what made it odd. Hey, assigned seating. What can you do? <laughs> that's <laughs> the rules, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have this quirk that I just take the first seat that's loaded for me by the website, and this was the one. So what they gave me. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't, dope, that, I don't think that I don't think that Hereditary is a movie that. Teenagers should watch, and I don't think that no. they would like it. Like, because you're right, it's not it's not that cheesiness. It's there's something pretty deep going on with the horror of it that I don't know that they would.
3: Well, especially the context of like,
2: no, for sure. For sure. But that it, that moment you're talking about, though, I will say it did shut the theater up. Like yeah, people were, that like, I believe <laughs> <watching> that, which <laughs> it's like, <Yeah>. oh, cool. Like. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And but, it's the thing too, is uh, like
1: man. what kind of like if you're, you know, like I think Miles and I, when we were teenagers, we probably would have appreciated this. But if it's yeah, if it's like the teenager going to see a scary movie on a Friday night and have yeah. some, you know, For sure,
2: I, mean, I don't, I don't like judge that. But there is an element of like, oh, like oh, you did the same thing when you were a teenager. It's like no, I didn't. I actually no, like, we we went and we shut up and we watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're you're my witness. We saw most movies together. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. No, and we were someone we was were pretty good
2: you're we talking during the
1: movie <laughs> well that's why i didn't feel bad when i yelled at some children during across the spider verse i'm like you know what i knew better yeah. <laughs> and they were awful like they were yelling
0: well i think the uh, reason okay. i would be i would be resistant to recommend this movie to, to people is because that ending is so harsh and it's there is like no catharsis to the movie at all. And I think that can really bother some people. And it bothered me. Like when I watched that movie, the ending doesn't like tie things up in a way that most movies do. And it's...
1: No, it does tie things up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but it
0: leaves you with a pretty bad feeling when you're done. And that yeah, it doesn't, there's no like resolution to at least say, okay, well, things are okay now. I can walk out of this movie and back into the real world and things are good. This leaves you with the... the deep feeling in the pit of your stomach when you're done, oh,
3: I,
2: I think, that. would bother think, a lot of people. I, th- I think more movies need to end like that. <laughs> <laughs> like that, it's got that like nihilistic touch that yeah. I just, yeah, I love, I, I love when I love when horror movies just end with like a gut punch. And you're like, damn, like that it just it's... leaves you something to chew on.
1: And it's interesting to think because we mentioned Midsummer how that movie ends in a way, and again, we won't say how, but it ends in a way that's almost more confusing like this film it's harsh but like you know how you're supposed to feel midsummer i think really trips people up because you have people kind of saying like i guess it was good what happened to her and it's like it's really not it's really yeah. actually quite oh, horrific man. but it's so successful at sort of tricking you into into this weirder place where you're like i don't know how to feel um which is Maybe. we're off topic now but i i like that
2: well actually that midsummer kind of leads into mine a little bit yeah it does so, uh, let's do it <laughs> I was gonna throw out there. I think I think Midsummer is like the Freddy Got Fingered of horror movies, where it's like <laughs> how how clever is Ari Aster? Because the discourse that surrounded that movie when it came out was so like compelling and dividing and bizarre. And it's like, did he intend that? Like everyone who watches it has a different opinion. Of like you said, like, is it a good thing that happened? Is it a bad thing? But people were so like like militant in their stance on that movie that I almost hate it because of the way people discuss it. Like it's so dividing. But like I watch it, I have my opinions on it and what the characters did and everything. And then hearing people discuss it, it's like, how did he intend that? Is he that clever? Or did he just rip off the wicker man? And at the end of the day, I think he just ripped off the Wicker Man.
3: <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> shots
2: fired! But no, it, it, it's a it's a gr- it's a great movie. He's a he's a really he's a really interesting filmmaker. But uh, yeah, no, Midsummer's really good too. But it's not as good as the Wicker Man, which is my pick. And I'm not talking about that Nicolas Cage piece of shit. I'm talking about the original 1973 Wicker Man, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, and is the quintessential occult horror movie.
0: Yeah, I will say I'm glad that one of us brought it up. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think it deserves it, to be in this in this it,
2: conversation. It's I was so uh, last night I was uh I was with my partner and I was I threw it on and I was like hey, I'm just gonna watch the scene that I'm gonna talk about because I've seen it so many times I'm like I don't need to rewatch really it. I'm like I'll just I'll just watch that scene. But then the movie started and then we just watched the whole movie. Like it was just it's just you just sit down and you just watch it and it's like it's so like captivating. Like it, it it's kind of like it's that quote unquote older movie that people who don't like older movies can watch it. Like it's so accessible, it's so weird. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like the work right other than a bizarre movie. Um, and but that's
1: trying to be like it. But, uh, it and that's kind of, yeah.
2: And it just it like every scene is so unique and bizarre, and it just really. Yeah, it, it really stands the test of time. Like I, I could watch that movie every day and still like pick something up and get something out of it. Like it's just fantastic. And uh, there's there's a lot of different versions of it. There's the theatrical cut, director's cut, final cut, um, and the one the one I own I think is the final cut. The one I watched last night was on Shutter, and I think it's the theatrical cut. So things were a little out of order, like than what I'm used to. But the scene I'm talking about in the theatrical cut happens fairly early on, which I could have sworn happens later in the final cut, but whatever. It's theatrical cut. We'll consider that canon. It's um, it's a scene where Sergeant Howie, played by Edward Woodward, goes to this remote British isle to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. And when he comes to the island, all the locals are very hostile to him and they don't want him there and he is a devout christian and they are very much pagans they're free free will they're he he walks out and they're just having sex on the on the grass like no shame and everything's just open and he goes to the local pub like the inn where he's staying the green man Inn. and he's just like disgusted at all this like body behavior where everyone is just you know doing their thing no shame no uh you know no guilt or whatever, and he's just a devout Christian, so he's disgusted by all of this. So he goes, he should, to... he them. should
0: stick some pigs on them,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: so the first night that he's there, the uh, the innkeeper, his daughter, played by the absolutely gorgeous Brit Eklund, um, tries to seduce him. So she is like the town harlot, essentially. They have a whole song about how all the men in the town have slept with her, basically. And she's like singing along and she loves it. Like, again, there's there's no shame or anything. It's just it's just how it is. And she tries to seduce him where she goes into the next room um, that he's in and she's like banging on the wall and she's naked and she sings the song like the movie is more or less a musical. Like there's quite a few musical numbers in it, um, but they're all uh, a diegetic like they're all happening in in the scene. And so she sings this very like alluring, erotic song and she's dancing naked and she's pounding on the wall. And uh, our main character, he's, again, devout Christian. He's engaged. So he doesn't believe in sex before marriage. And he's like in his 40s, too. So he's an older man. He's never had sex. He's being tempted by this like young, gorgeous woman who's inviting him over. And it's so he he doesn't. He, he's tempted, he's very tempted. He he's on the wall and he's sweating and he just he really wants to, but he's like, No, I'm gonna do the right thing and I'm not gonna sleep with her. I'm gonna remain a virgin, I'm gonna wait until marriage. And he turns her down. And then the next day she's like, Oh, like I thought you were gonna come over to my room, and he's like, No, like I'm engaged, I can't do it. And it's that kind of decision that ultimately seals his fate by the end of the movie, which it's it's interesting because you think you know depending on you know your views on Christianity and everything you think he's doing the right thing but then ultimately it it's what leads to uh <laughs> to the unfortunate end for him and it's
3: just
2: <laughs> it's, it's such a like awesome scene and it's so out of nowhere and I you really like you don't realize how important it is when you watch it you think it's just some like you know Already, Farty bullshit when you're watching it, but it actually plays such an important role in everything that happens for the rest of the movie. And it uh yeah, I don't know. I you guys have both seen the worker Man, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And this
1: so, is the scene I always uh, sort of like you know, come back about, to. I know, and I almost yeah,
2: pick it because it's such like an iconic scene, but it's such an important scene and it uh and yeah. in, in the version I watched too. It is the middle of two different musical numbers. There's the musical number where all the, the local guys are talking about how they've slept with <laughs> Brit Island. And then there's that musical number. And then there's a the musical number right after it with all the local school children dancing around Maple, like holding like um, like threads of fabric and uh, running in circles. And I really like that scene. And I almost picked that. But the, you know, the will seems incredible. It's also really noteworthy that when they show Britt Eklund from behind it's a stand-in and it's once you know that it's very evident because Britt Eklund (laughs) is like light blonde hair kind of like you know shoulder length and then when they show her from behind it's like long brown hair and
3: it's
2: (laughs) it's like totally off but I'm sure people aren't really looking at that when they're watching the scene
1: no I never thought about it exactly
2: but then once you know it and if you've seen it as many times as I have it's like oh okay like
1: (laughs) they brought in the body double um Yeah, it's funny. I'm glad you talk about the scene because part of the reason it sticks out to me is because it's so strange, like the it way that she's strange. on that door, like sort of like yeah. hanging off it and dancing. is like, like yeah, and it's <clears throat> it, it makes you wonder, like, is this even supposed to be literally how this is happening, or how he's imagining what she's mm-hmm. like on the other side of it, and not in like an overly done way where it's like a clear cut, like this is his, because like he's also so tormented by, you know this this the sin that he's being beckoned to Mm -hmm. um which is also interesting to think about not that you have to like definitively say it is or it isn't but as far as reflecting that that type of fear that fear of being tempted away by it and imagining that the harlot as it were as such a like almost aggressive uh figure it's interesting i think it's really revealing as a as a choice
3: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah this is i remember this is kind of the scene where i was like what in the world am i watching (laughs) like what is this movie because it did take me a long time to figure this movie out because it was not at all what i was expecting um i had because i had seen it again later like i have most of these classics and i kind of didn't really it seemed tamer than i was expecting and um It was more like just a mystery movie for a long time, and then things really started to get weird. But when I was watching this, I was like, "Okay, I really have no idea what I'm in for with this." Mm -hmm. And I did end up like I do like the movie quite a bit. I was, it it won me over, but like this is bizarre.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's very very unconventional, and I think when like when you're going through a horror journey, like you you watch a few. Like modern horror movies and you're like, okay, I'm gonna like watch the classics and you watch like, you know, The Exorcist, The Shining, and Halloween, whatever. And then you get to the Wicker Man, and it's not it's not like that. It's very different. It's very atmospheric. It's very character driven. Um it's very performance driven. Like Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee are fantastic in it and their budding ideologies is such a important part of the movie. But it's not like it's not a fun horror movie night like movie. Like you don't throw Having some drinks and be like, "Whoa, look at that!" Like it's not.
1: It's I mean, we would, you and I, but oh yeah, for sure. But it's, uh,
2: it's like y- Maybe y- this. Y- <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's. But I- I'm just thinking of all the teenagers in the movie theaters if they did like a re-release of The Wicker Man. <laughs> I would love that too, and if they marketed it kind of like like upselling the remake, being like you know, so people go and see it thinking it's the Nicolas Cage version, and then it's this version. <laughs> <laughs> an hour and a half they're just stuck watching this bizarre avant-garde <laughs> like <laughs>
0: well I'm pretty but, sure this is the first time I ever saw Britt Eklund too because I knew that she like amongst the British especially she has this very sex symbol status right kind of like a, I don't know who, who would be equivalent at that time period in America like or Cal maybe. Welsh or somebody straw dogs and um, but she's she kind of had that reputation among among the brits i know for sure like even just watching other british media I'm like who would they keep talking about Britt, Brit and then i watched mm-hmm. this movie okay okay
2: she's swedish i'm pretty sure
1: yeah it's... it makes sense eckland
2: which i i was really debating whether her dialogue was dubbed or not because she's got a very over-the-top like scottish accent right right i remember movie that. Hmm. I I don't think it's dubbed. I think it's her because the Swedish kind of like cuts in a little bit. Swedish actors though, when they do a British accent, they do a really good job at it, like a a good job at hiding it. But she was a Bond girl, was she not? Yep. The which man uh,
1: Golden Gun? Which Oh, yeah, really? That okay. was Christopher Lee, right? Yep. Oh, <laughs> oh damn! Damn. Yeah. Well, now they I'm questioning which one I saw first. Did. Um. Yeah. So something else I like about this, both the scene and the movie as a whole, and the way that, like as you mentioned, it's kind of musical is that it is like, in its presentation, it's very joyous. Songs mm-hmm. are catchy, mm-hmm. there's lots of dancing, and one, that's just so atypical of how you expect a horror movie to operate, but two, I also think it speaks to something very specific with occult and religious horror, where to outsiders, this stuff is terrifying, but to the community, it's beautiful.
2: And I'm, it's, I'm really glad you brought
1: that up. You know, you think about even like like Catholic and like church, you go in and you've got statues of this emaciated man being tortured and you drink his blood like when you describe it it sounds like the most horrific thing but if you're a catholic and you go to church every sunday it's as normal as can be yeah. and i think this movie yeah. captures that really well this idea of like for them this is this is just an everyday occurrence and it's beautiful and how they live their lives and that's the really scary part totally
2: totally 100 percent Know, that's a, that's such an important factor of it man oh i love this movie <laughs> just, like, just so, thinking about it like it's just it's so different and it's so weird and like i don't know like it 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 actually like physically pains me that whenever you talk about the wicker man people just think about the nicholas cage remake they're just like oh not the bees nothing like this is all they think about and it's like no it. sake! Like, i feel <laughs> like that's going away though <laughs> it's, a, it's yeah. a i feel like that's I, I, I hope so I, I really hope so, because, and, like, that remake, like, it's not even, like, it's not even really deserving of, like, its meme no. status. Like it's such a boring, dumb nothing.
1: Yeah. Meme. Outside of a couple cageisms, it's very dull.
2: Yeah. And the scene where the girl on the boat gets hit by a truck. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's incredible.
1: That's pretty good. Um, Fun. I mean, it's interesting, though. I do think that is fading in part because I think, one, in general, Nick Cage meme lord feels like a very, like, millennial... Specific era, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, he's kind of worked his way back to being yeah. respected,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which I'm just yeah. gonna be, but it, uh yeah, no, it definitely. And the funny thing about that b scene too is that that's not even in the theatrical cut. You have to have the DVD director's cut, which I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you,
2: it's not even like, and I, I would argue most people probably haven't actually seen The Wicker Man. They've just Seeing the YouTube clips yeah the YouTube clips and stuff and, and I think, wonder
1: how much is of that just, too that
2: weird or over the top in the movie like it, it's stupid but it's not like I don't know it doesn't and I,
1: I wonder how much of that is just like early YouTube and just clips that are there and what goes viral versus like what goes viral now say
3: Absolutely. um,
1: because yeah I do like I, I think for one like the movie didn't do well and I don't think it even did well on like DVD sales or rentals or anything like that so it probably was just like the clips get uploaded and out of context, the reader, like it's just a man it's Nick Cage in a B suit running up and punching a woman out. Like, it's like, what is this? Like, it's yeah. so bizarre in the context of the film. It doesn't actually seem that interesting, but when you watch it in a montage of him freaking out from other movies. Oh, and, for sure.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah. I know I know exactly what kind of what montage you're talking about. Too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so what you're talking about, where like the locals, like consider it so normal. I think that's in a way where, thought midsummer not failed but where it didn't really click with me as well is that I felt like the cult members or local or whatever in the movie everything felt very sinister and I felt like the people in that community knew it was sinister whereas in the wicker man it feels natural and it's a good thing and it's positive and everyone's happy they just that's what they're taught that's how they think they act whereas in midsummer they're all just like Together. Like they're
3: like evil.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, like cinematically, like the fact that like Midsummer's got like the more modern horror score. Um, oh, for sure. for sure. You know, it's got more overt scenes of like grim that overall give this impression that like it, it kind of plays its hand a little bit more. But this is so, like even when you get to the obscene violence of the ending, mm-hmm. the tone of them is still so overwhelmingly positive that it like yeah hours even past that.
2: Well, like the the final shot is just incredible where it's you know the violent <laughs> finale and then you have them all like holding hands and singing and they're all happy and the camera just pans up to the sun and it's like you know you're you're left with conflicting feelings. you're like what what like was what happened good like did that mm-hmm. do what it was supposed to do and like who are you supposed to believe and like even the main character like he, he's not like crazy likable. Like, he's very, like, and again, it depends on, you know, your views and on Christianity, but it's like, is he right in what he's doing? Like, he's very much like, no, this is what I believe in, and this is how it should be. And then Christopher Lee's character is like, well, this is what we believe in, and this is how we think it should be. And he's like, no, my way is the only way. So that's fair. Very- yeah, that's true.
0: Miles, are you aware that the 4K Blu-ray just
2: released this week? I am aware... Um, is it available in North America?
0: Um, it's not so it,
2: yeah it's just it's in the UK. So, if it's available in North America, I will 100% be Yeah, it. no, it's a US release. Oh, is it? Oh, oh okay. it okay. looks pretty all, sweet. All, it's a steel All, all the pictures okay. I saw of it had that stupid. I hate British releases where it has the rating. I know yeah. it looks yeah. terrible. I won't, I, won't, I won't buy one. Oh, no, same. No, but this uh, one looks
0: pretty cool. I you oh, should no, check it
2: yeah, no, totally. Because there there hasn't really been like I have a Blu-ray of it, but it's a very it's like um it's like Anchor Bay or something like that. They just kind of threw it <laughs>
3: like out.
2: it's not like a like an official proper release. So
0: yeah. but and, I find a good one. It looks like it's the
2: director's cut. I don't know why they just wouldn't include, I think
0: both. Think it just
3: includes, include both
2: I think it includes all of them from what from what i've been reading you know nerdy boutique blu-ray <laughs> like forums and stuff I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it includes all of them but cool. that yeah that was the uh, hellraiser uh what was it called quartet of torment or something like that i think like yeah, there's I'm a lot pass on that there's a lot there's a lot of releases that i'm like okay is that uk only or can i get that north america if i can get that north america
1: right.
2: yeah it just came out on tuesday so
1: I, I had no idea also when you talked about like the different cuts that it was one of those films. I didn't realize it had that. Yeah,
2: like... it's not it's not crazy different, but it's different enough. Like the opening in the one I'm used to, which I think is the final cut, it opens with uh, Edward Woodward on the mainland in church. And he's like, he's, they're all like saying hymns, and they're singing you know, whatever. And he has like a woman beside him who like you assume is his fiance. And it very much kind of shows you what he's about. And then it cuts to him on the plane going to the island where the theatrical cut, he's like, just on the plane going to the island. So you don't. And then they show that scene later on before Willow's song. Uh, Willow is Brett Etlin's uh, character. He's uh, he's in his room, like saying a prayer. And then they cut to the footage of him in church so it's it's kind of disjointed and that's why I think I think Willow song is later on which is a weird choice because I really do think that that scene is like how they test him to figure out that he's going to be a suitable candidate for what they're doing like he gives all the information they need for later on in the movie in that opening scene the first night he's there so if that happens later on in the movie that kind of contradicts that a little bit
1: mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense I like that read of it that actually I, I don't think I've seen this since the first time. So I knowing having that context, I'd be interested in revisiting it because, yeah, the first time you see it, it is kind of just like this is odd and it's good, but it's it's peculiar. And now knowing yeah, what it's, it is
2: kind of weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of out of context. But then when you know everything that's going to happen, you're like, oh, OK, like that's that's what they were doing. Cause like she straight up asked them too. She's like, why didn't you come over? And he's like, oh, I'm engaged. I don't believe of it. Believe in it before marriage. So right away, she's like, "Okay, there. That's that's everything.
3: That's everything you
2: need to know." Yeah. So,
3: because nice. they're very
2: vague with how they chose him, they they say something at the end that they had extensive research done to like find the right person. But it's weird. It's almost like Willow was offering him like one last chance to kind of get out of it.
0: Yeah, I can see that. That's which is kind of cool. Like you alluded to the fact that. We, as the audience, don't know that until until later. And then we're like, oh, oh it's too late. We should have done something different.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> you should have had the first opportunity. You should have
1: smashed. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: like, Would you, stupid?
1: That shit wouldn't have happened to me, I tell you what.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what, uh, what happens in Summer Isle stays on Summer Isle. <laughs> yeah, nice
3: pick. Oh, amazing. Thank you.
2: Thank you. I mean, but again, like you can't talk about a call for without talking to okay? the Like, it really is just like. The essential one. But yeah. yeah, anyone listening, go watch it. Don't watch the remake. Watch the original. Put your I'm phone away.
1: Glad- watch the
3: movie. <laughs> Sit down and watch the movie.
1: I'm glad that you went with that too, uh, not just for the show, but I think it actually will lead into my moment in an effective way, even though they're very different movies, which my film is Brian De Palma's Carrie, mm-hmm. which I struggled with putting because I'm like, it's not really like an occult horror movie. Like the supernatural powers Carrie exhibits are not explicitly said to be in any way related to religion and in in a lot of ways I think the film implies that they're not that they're something else but I really kept coming back to Carrie's mother and her just obscenely strict uh like you know, like psychotic levels of faith and worship and uh how that manifests in this cruelty to her her daughter and I was thinking specifically, Just the line even of her saying, like, repeat, Eve is weak and went back and revisited the scene. And it's the first interaction we see between Carrie and her mom, which, oh boy, what a tone that sets for those two. Uh, It's after Carrie has had her first period at school, has not understood what's happening to her, thinks she's dying, doesn't know, is mocked viciously. Really also rewatching that bullying scene. Good Lord. That's like beyond bullying. (laughs) Like, that's such an insane thing to do to another human being. That's that's, um, Stephen,
2: that's Stephen King for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't just um, bully you;
2: they just like try and murder you and ruin your life. <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You know, that's that's like I, they don't even want your lunch money; they want your soul. Like it's yeah. messed up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, Carrie goes home. The school calls the the household, and ex- and you don't hear the conversation, but they're explaining to the mom what happened, and you realize, okay, so Carrie's mom now knows that Carrie has had her first period, that she's bled, and. She blames her daughter for that and views it as a manifestation of sin and starts punishing her by having her recite from the sins of woman and quoting, you know, that Eve was weak and uh, that intercourse is the first sin and the worst sin and locking her in this closet. And I was I kept going through trying to think of more like traditional occult horror films that dealt with like uh, evil, sinister religious groups or Uh, rituals or sacrifice or things like that but i kept coming back to this moment because i thought i think this actually speaks to something that's the real the most real horror with religious horror which as much as i love like demonic possession and sacrifices and you know summoning demons that stuff's also like fun um it can be scary especially when it's handled with a lot of care and skill but there is an element of it that's that's uh fantastical especially for me as a as a pretty secular minded person but the horror of how people will interpret religious script and doctrine and then use it to influence their behaviors that's terrifying and I think this film taps into that really well as much as like that set piece when Carrie is at the prom and and using her telekinesis is just astoundingly good and so rich in its horror imagery a lot of the scariest stuff is just the way that the mom treats her kid, punishing her for having a period, you know, the thing that's a bodily function that you can't uh, control, but also just the the fact that you can tell like she's never told her daughter about any of this, about what her body is going to do as she gets older. And she's poisoned her with so much like old time, very conservative religious attitudes about uh, not just sex, but like women's bodies in particular that you know as much as the kids are like ridiculously cruel in how they treat her they're also in a position where Carrie is so underprepared for uh what her life is going to be and what her body is going to do that she's set up to be victimized essentially and that to me is like the most scary thing about religion as and I don't like I guess just while I'm here, I'll be clear. I don't hate religion. I'm not one of those like, uh, oh, theism is the worst evil people. I think there's a lot of good that can come from faith and community. But this idea of, you know, how uh, a certain interpretation of faith can manifest as abuse and violence and neglect, uh, that's chilling. And that, I think, is the scariest thing in Carrie. And this scene gets to that the most effectively. Totally.
2: Totally. Yeah, it. I agree. Whenever people think of Carrie, they just think of like the prom scene, which like it's a really important moment, but like it's really like it's not really the point. It's kind of like the I don't know the reward, <laughs> like the, mm-hmm. But no, you're right. The scary stuff is the stuff with her, and her mom. I I forget the name of the actress who plays mom's like Piper. Piper Lori She just Piper passed Laurie. away this week. Oh, did she really?
1: Yeah.
2: R.I.P. Um, but no, she's she is so good in that, and yeah, like that is scary stuff just watching it and like it's real too like the her like Carrie at the prom and you know throwing stuff around with her telekinesis and that laughable scene with John Travolta in the car flipping over <laughs> like <laughs> that's all like that's all fun and everything but the stuff with her and her mom like that's that's real like I'm 100% certain that that happens like mm-hmm. in you know several wow. households and it, you're right like it's terrifying like that is the scary stuff in the movie and I wonder how much of that like there's that constant debate with Stephen King. It's like <laughs> how much of like the good stuff is because he's good or just because like he's crazy and like it just wrote <laughs> like he just throws so much stuff at the wall. And like it, it's all about the person who interprets his work and whether it's effective or not. Like um, so I don't know if Brian De Palma, it was because of his adaptation, like his eye and his view is what made it so effective. Or if that's you know Stephen King's intention, I, I don't know why. In my head, I feel like all Stephen King cared about was the telekinesis at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree uh, with you. <laughs> I, I, I might I might be wrong, but I, I feel like everything else was just built up to that. But I feel like you know Brian De Palma and whoever wrote the screenplay may have been De Palma. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. They they really wanted to focus more on the uh, the religious stuff because that really is the meat of. Mm-hmm the story like that that is the most important stuff and it's something that's uh i think lacking in like other adaptations like they don't like i don't know it's one of those movies that's been like not ruined by pop culture but the prom scene at the end is so iconic that that's just what it's about but there's mm-hmm. so much better stuff in it um that and like, so much
1: worse stuff too <laughs> oh, <sure.
3: laughs>
1: There's a lot about that movie. Like every time I rewatch it, I'm like, yeah, this is really uneven. The great stuff is fantastic. And then there's stuff like that sequence where they're all getting their prom clothes and is like, so the score is terrible. There's one part where it like fast forwards through some dialogue and it just feels like De Palma just doesn't care. Let's just get this moving.
2: (laughs) He's literally fast forwarding his own movies. I I know exactly the scene you're talking
1: about. And even like. (laughs) Chris, I like Nancy Allen as the villain a lot. Like she's such an interesting actress. I think she pulls off the character, but at the same time, it's like she's comically evil in oh, going yeah. so far out of her way to punish Carrie white. But it's like, like she chooses not to attend her own prom to instead enact this elaborate revenge of dumping blood on this woman. And it's like at a certain point, You'd think you'd just let it go just for sheer self-interest. That's a lot of work for yeah. <laughs> also missing your own prom. I don't know. Yeah.
2: And then John Travolta is like laughable.
1: It's funny because then Travolta, like four years, four or five years later, he's the lead in um, Blowout, and he's great in that. And that movie's really good with De Palma. So Oh, I'm
2: not denying his talent at all, but he's just... The first scene you see him in is when he's like driving around with Nancy Allen and... yeah. Just the, the, their dialogue and just the way he acts is just incredible. Man. That's why he's, it's
1: funny seeing him. He's such a goofball. Like she keeps like he keeps calling she keeps calling him stupid. He's like, hey, don't call me stupid. It's like, what <laughs> is
0: this? It's like he's following in the or he almost starts this tradition of which isn't purposeful, but of like big name actors in their first role in some kind of horror movie like this, right? Like with Johnny Depp and uh wasn't yeah. Kevin Bacon in the
2: yeah he's
1: Friday the Thirteenth yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio was in like Critters Three or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, not Critters. That, that can't be right.
1: No, I think it is Critters. I think you're right.
2: They're right, really Critters.
1: Yeah. Oh,
3: okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I mean I I'm saying this a lot of confidence. I've never seen a Critters Jennifer movie, Aniston but... Leprechaun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: But it it is interesting what you say, Miles, about the idea of you know pop culture has reduced this to the prom scene. But I think in a way it's like if people actually then decide, okay, I'm going to watch the, the problem scene movie, then I think they're in for a pretty interesting surprise, especially when you look at the mom, because that doesn't come up in pop culture as much her and her relationship with her mom, but that's a huge, Mm -hmm. huge Mm part. Right. And Mm -hmm. that is where, I mean, the mom is really kind of the villain of the movie and more so than the kids um, and how she's, she deals with just like the scene is how she deals with Carrie. It's terrifying.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: She also has an amazing scene with uh Sue's mom. And it's the first time we see Carrie's mom where she's talking about, you know, she'd come to preach the good Lord's word and, uh, you know, getting kids out of trouble. And the mom's like, you know, Sue's a good girl. And the Carrie's mom's like, these are godless times. And the other mom's like, I'll drink to that. And then realizes <laughs> what she's done it stops. It's like, man, Sue's mom is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and again,
0: um, that's was, a trope oh, that uh the uh, you know <laughs> the the crazy mother is a trope that Stephen King likes to go back to as well, like mm-hmm. with it and a bunch of other yeah. stuff too.
1: And religious mother often. Right. Which yeah. is why um, I think
0: that the direct I think Brian Brian De Palma is what elevates this movie. Because how much how much Stephen King schlock is out there that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I really think it's on who's interpreting the work that makes. I it.
1: have heard though to this, I haven't. The only King book I've read is The Shining. I have heard this is one of his best books. So, yeah, I've heard um, heard. Um, it was sorry. his first book, was it not? I think so. Yeah. Certainly yeah. his first like success, and the film I believe is the first Stephen King adaptation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything. Seventy six would have
1: been pretty early. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say, too, like with talking about the prom scene, it's interesting to compare that horror versus the horror of the stuff between Carrie and her mom, because the prom sequence is like exquisite. But it's also where you can feel, you know, Brian De Palma gets to have the most De Palma fun. Like he's got he's using a lot of split screens to show, you know, as much of the chaos in as glorious a spectacle as possible. He's using uh, the colored lights to give various different tones and feels to the scene. And it, it does. It's very effective. And it's. Chilling in the buildup, like, it's so well-established and so well, uh, this inevitable moment that when it does hit, it is chilling, but there is this part of it being fun. It's a glorious ending. And the stuff with Carrie and her mom is, like, genuinely unpleasant. Like, when she gets shoved in that closet and she's screaming to be let out, it's, like, you want to, like, look away from the screen. It's so just sad and horrible. Yeah. So...
2: I wanted to quickly bring up um, my favorite line of dialogue in like any movie ever is in Carrie at the end where uh, Sue, I think she's like in bed and the doctor's like examining her and the doctor's talking to her mom. And it's like, oh, like she's only 18. She's still young. She'll forget all about this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's like what? works. Yeah. Brooke and I we're kind of watching together. It's like, how did like that wise? <laughs> like, she's gonna remember this for the rest of her life. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> she's just not just gonna off. forget that everyone she knew was killed at the school.
2: Yeah, like her boyfriend <laughs> was like killed. <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: I love her boyfriend too. Like, yeah. Something cat, Tom Tommy Cat or something like that, whatever yeah. his name is. The guy from House.
1: Yeah. The the guy from uh, Greatest American Hero. believe it or not i'm walking on air oh he's singing again great i love to sing (laughs) you know i got a voice and the people need to hear it he's good though and like that's the thing too is like one of the things i love about the the prom sequence is you know the whole thing of like they're all gonna laugh at you and it's like they don't actually like you see the one the pj souls who's dressed like mario throughout the movie she (laughs) laughs And then you get the 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 slow zoom in on Carrie and you hear her mom repeating, they're all going to laugh at you. And then the laughter comes in and then we see people laughing in this like mosaic and it's very clearly like in Carrie's head. And so it really makes you wonder like how much of these kids are actually laughing at her? Because I was thinking if I'm in high school, I'm at prom and I see this happen, even being like a horrible teenager who no doubt was like shitty and evil as all teenagers are, I think I'd be too just like confused and scared to laugh because like, Someone just got blood dumped on them? Like, what is yeah. happening? Yeah. Um, and I like how De Palma, and I don't know if it's written this way in the book, but I like how De Palma directs it in a way where it's kind of unclear how much of those people actually laugh at her because certainly the shot of Carrie seeing, those are not, those break from the reality of the film.
2: Totally. Totally, yeah. No, they're all just more concerned. Like, they're happy for her when she wins mm-hmm. the Franklin and everything.
1: It's so like, sad.
2: It, it is sad. <laughs> it's just sad moment.
0: Teenagers are not horrible, Dan.
1: Oh, come on, Ian. <laughs> Remember that time you and your friends killed somebody and you you covered it up? And then a year later, you were stalked by a, a, hook sle- a hook-wielding hook slasher?
0: But we were only <laughs> 18. We forgot all about it later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, you forgot how terrible you were. That's how it is. Yeah, if anything,
2: you'd be like, you'd go up to Nancy Allen's character and be like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, she's I'm the like... weirdo in that, not Carrie.
1: But I was just thinking of like being in being a teenager and like I think not that I was ever I don't think I was ever even close to like a bully, but I think of stuff that I would have found funny and realizing like that was actually really mean and I may not have been involved, but I was aware and I didn't think it was anything wrong. And so I was wondering, like, okay if I'm in a situation like that and this does happen, like how do I at like 17 react to it? And I don't know if I would have laughed, though, just because it is so weird.
0: Yeah, no, I. I can't see. No, that's not realistic. Yeah. People would be horrified. There's no doubt about it. Unless, 70, like the unless only... 70s kids were just that <laughs> much meter? I
1: don't know. <laughs> built yeah,
3: different.
2: They, were, they were built different. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but the, when it starts like the one wide and there's no sound and everyone's like completely just shocked and it's PJ Souls who starts laughing and she even starts nudging the person next to them as if like trying to manufacture this because she's in on it and she knows what's coming. Um... Because it that's interesting. I think the film blurs that line in terms of realizing, yeah, this isn't part of the tragedy is that the kids aren't actually being cruel, horrible monsters to her, like as a overall group. group. It's just these small selection of like, you know, really like mean spirited who have focused on this that are so into their revenge scheme they don't realize how awful what they're doing is. Yeah, and also how just unfunny it is. That's That's something to
0: look into. Because like the next time, the next time we watch it, we should all look for that. to Kind of see like, is it really just these kids? And, and of course that would make sense because it would be inflated within Carrie's heads, especially mm-hmm. with her mom's, you know, nattering about this behind her. Of course she would kind of, Yep. she would see it as everybody, but yeah, you're right. Maybe it's not.
1: Hmm. Yeah. She's afraid to just dance right. with Tommy. You imagine getting. A bucket of blood poured on you what that would do to you like i i can't even imagine just the shock to the system yeah i also like how tom
2: just straight up cheats on his girlfriend too <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: he's like making out with carrie at the prom yeah literally, literally. <laughs> and sue's like, like yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think that's one of the things in the remake i think they they admit that i don't think ansel algort to
1: maybe, maybe he does i don't
2: know it's been I a don't minute. Remember.
1: I like the remake for what it is, though. I like, it's not too. great, but it, it's okay. It's like
2: it—it it is what it is. Like, of the horror remakes, it could have been way more offensive and it's really. Yes. Fine. And uh, Julianne Moore is fantastic as always. Mm-hmm.
1: And the core story is—it's not like remaking, I don't know, like a Friday the Thirteenth say, where like it's the context and the time those movies are made that make them what they are, and just doing like another one mm-hmm. is like, who cares? The Carrie story is rich enough that even if you're doing a remake and you don't have De Palmas you know, a sense of style. There's still enough meat on the bone that there's something worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the hatred that movie got was like, not that I'm gonna jump up on a hill to defend it because really no. it's no, no cares, no. but yeah. eh, it it's deserved a little bit better. I, I
2: think it's one of the better of the horror remakes that came out around that time. It was like the tail end of the onslaught of horror remakes, like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and mm-hmm. that stuff. It was like 2013, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, it's fine for what it is. But again, I remember the marketing for that, all the marketing was about the prom scene and like the telekinesis and uh, Chloe Moratz covered in blood and like, whoa, this is an extreme, like scary horror movie. And and even in the movie, like it's again, the prom is not a big part of it. It's
1: the one section.
2: Yeah, it's the one section. You can't you can't make Carrie into like a like a fun teenager jump scare kind of movie. Like it just there's it's not it's just not that kind of movie
1: it's too inherently sad. And I think it's also too loaded, like even ignoring the religious stuff, which is a lot, just the, the bullying aspect of it is too real and too upsetting. And especially the one thing that's I think really makes the film potentially worth doing as a remake is what does Carrie look like in an era of school shooting sprees? You know, sure. which is really a thing in 1976, but is very much so now and was then. Because you can read that, you know, massacre at the end with that, uh, as an analogous uh, counterpoint to it. That's interesting,
2: actually. I didn't really consider that.
1: And that's like, you know, maybe like a teenager's not aware of those connections when they're watching it, but the the context of it is so grim and upsetting that it's hard to, yeah, as you say, to be like, it's a fun, you know, go on a date type horror movie. Yeah, 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 for sure. Too sad.
2: That's interesting, actually.
1: I'm tempted that. to take Carrie, though, and recut the movie, to cut out all the scenes of like, The plan to dump the blood and freeze frame it when she gets the crown and then just roll credits. And it's like she was bullied, but then they did a nice thing for her and it was all happy. Carrie.
2: I'm just thinking now of her her remake of Carrie, but instead of telekinesis, she just has a gun.
1: (laughs) She pulls it out of what her mother refers to in the film as her dirty pillows, which is all the clue you need that the mom is in just insanely evil when she's like everyone can see your dirty pillows it's like what why are you talking this way
2: i'm really glad you brought up that uh that prom the shopping for uh, like just tux- <laughs> <a> stupid moment
1: <laughs> and there's like banter in that scene that i find genuinely kind of funny between the guys where it's like it's not that i don't like ruffles they just don't look good on me i don't got a tuxedo shaped body and it's like what is this <laughs> like who even is this guy we've never seen him before this scene
3: yeah, he's, not, he's
2: not like a he's not an important character <laughs> yeah
1: it's a bizarre film but then then you get to these scenes like carrie and her mom or you know uh or the prom sequence uh these moments of like real horror and really exceptional filmmaking from de palma um and it's like it's a weird balance where there's stuff, stuff in there that is so weird and kind of sloppy and then stuff that's some of the best horror filmmaking of the decade. Mm-hmm. So it's like I guess it's pretty good. It averages out well enough, but it, it's it's a messy film, and every time I rewatch it, I'm reminded of like the parts oh, that yeah. are are a little sillier.
2: Something about the '70s movies is that like they're they do have a lot of like really iconic brutal horror, but then there's so much weird shit too that people don't really talk about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like like the Wicker Man. Like people think of like you know the ending or whatever, but they don't think of all the weird stuff that happens in the movie too. Like, yeah. You know, we need to get we need to get more weird horror movies back. Everything's too like clean nowadays. You need more weird stuff.
1: Yeah, where are the freaks? Give them a yeah. camera. Let them make some movies.
2: Yeah, exactly. You just don't get that. I mean, like I don't. Know, Hereditary's got plenty of like weird stuff, but it's very much aware that what's yeah. happening is weird. It's like all right, look at how crazy and weird this is. And, mm-hmm. Like the point of the movie, but from
1: the twisted mind of yeah, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. And you yeah. don't get that with like, and it's the thing like something like Dawn of the Dead say, where it's like there's parts in it that are just weird things because they, they could, they have the resources and it would be fun creatively to do it. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if it's just the 70s era being so free for filmmakers uh, and feeling so like, just not just in the, what types of films are being made, but the attitude filmmakers have to experiment and just take these weird choices. Um, yeah. But it does, yeah, that, that decade is like an interesting one for, the kinds of horror films that get made and and uh and what gets remembered from them and what kind of gets forgotten
3: Mm -hmm. oh for sure
0: yeah yeah good big dan
3: all right closes the book and that book
1: is the bible
3: (laughs) (laughs) all right well
0: awesome i think we'll wrap her up there miles awesome thanks for coming back
2: you thank you for having me appreciate it i uh yeah good time i feel like i we went off topic a lot of times i apologize (laughs) that's what we do that's
3: That's why we're podcasting
2: baby yeah 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 yeah, for sure you can just trim all that down you can just cut it down to like a 20 minute episode
1: and just hey if the people want a nice focused streamlined podcast they can listen to people who get paid (laughs) we're just here to have a good time
2: No, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's always good to bring you
0: back. Oh, with, for sure. With your horror knowledge and always bringing up something I've never heard of before. Well, yeah. I have heard of The Wicker Man's and seen it, so there's there's something.
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing. it's things like you need to do like one obscure one and then one that people have heard of. But that's right. No, I call. I mean, I called this so like not vague, but it can be interpreted in so many ways. I mean, you could you could call Texas Chainsaw called like the scene where they're in the house and all like the bones and like. It's very much like it's like a ritual like what they're doing so it's, it's I don't know you can do a lot of stuff with it true but it's very cool if anyone feels like wasting uh like three and a half four hours there's a great documentary called uh woodland woodlands dark and days bewitched about cult horror isn't mm-hmm. I've I, have I haven't sat through the entire thing because it's like a decade long but it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's very cool lots of cool stuff in that but nice. no, I a call, I call it horror is really neat. But and it's something that transcends uh, like cultures too. Like every every country kind of has their own like superstitions and their own uh, the rules surrounding it. So it's very cool. Do you
0: have anything you want to share
2: or plug or anything? No, no. cool like you guys. I don't have like, like a YouTube uh or like a new album dropping or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, not really. I wish, okay. but no.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. And Dan, you're working to get a Halloween video out, maybe, possibly.
1: Yeah, so while we record this, uh, I have uh, written and recorded the script and edited the audio down. So now I have nine days to put in all the video clips before Halloween. So it's going to be a, a a fun, relaxing, easygoing week. And you were guide. doing while we were recording this? I was before, like, my day is like, okay, uh, I got to edit, I got a podcast, I got to clean dishes, I got to do another podcast, and then I got to edit, and, and then at some point I'll die, and then that'll be it, and that's, you know, that's a great life for me, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I'm excited about that video, and I think it'll be, uh, it's horror-themed, which is why I need to get it out by Halloween, and uh, it returns, oh, awesome. actually- it's not right? October.
2: No one's yeah. going to watch it if it comes out in November.
0: Exactly. Yeah, November so 1st, it's, be... that's it.
1: I'll, I'll tease it like this. We're all watching Paddington can...
2: 2 after that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can reveal the full details to you two afterwards, but I will say parts of the video directly tie into things we talked about on the podcast together last oh. year.
2: Cool. cool. Down to Down. music. Oh. Puppets, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why puppets are scary.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. don't tell them the full video ian <laughs> they gotta pay for that patreon.com slash eyebrow cinema
0: <laughs> nice all right well we'll wrap it up there um thanks again to miles for coming yeah, on thank you
1: thanks for having
0: me. Uh, i've been ian and i'm daniel and we'll see you next week for another spooky episode the shadow of the wicked is rising up again